This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. So, is this working yet? Excellent. I have a gargantuan head, so this um, this microphone might slip. So, if you suddenly the sound starts to cut out, just uh, someone give me a sign, and I'll I'll get a proper mic. So, um, welcome. We've got a very special night tonight uh, with uh, the last three of the last points and Christine Otten and quite an unusual combination you might think but um, as with the night or the next hour goes you'll realize that um, this was very much a match made in heaven and we're going to have a mixture of uh, discussion about how the book came together um, some um, some words from the last points and a little bit of music as well to, to end it all and we'll, we'll have some questions as well from um, the audience so um, start thinking now if there's something you've always wanted to ask Christine or the last points. So and my name's Olaf Furness, I'm a, a part-time music journalist and I run the Born to be Wide um, music events and um, Enough about me, I think we should really start because we've only got an hour. Um, Christine, could I begin by asking you how this book came about? Oh, well, this was a really, uh, it's like been a, it's, it was a real journey. Um, basically, I, I, uh, I discovered The Last Poets uh, in a documentary my son brought home in 2000. Uh, my son was a hip hop fan. He was 11 years old. So, and in that film, there were there was not only Tupac and Muhammad Ali, but there was also Abiyadun and Umar, and they were telling about like the 60s and their poetry and uh, um, telling about well the revolution and also about the, the difficulties after after the success and how they came back. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. But I was, you know, I was. Well, I was not into hip hop, and I was, you know, I didn't know much about it. I just, to be honest, I wanted to go to America, <laughs> and, and I, I just, I needed, uh, you know, I, I thought, let, let, let's call, let's see, it's interesting to do an interview. So, I called Abiyadun, and he was really friendly, uh, just, I thought, you know, you just come and visit. And I remember clearly that I was, I was really excited. I, I, you know, I was on my own and I went to Harlem and, and then I rang the bell and there was no one there. And I was like, my God, I came all the way from, to New York. And then there was a misunderstanding. So the next day we met and, um, well, uh, well that, that was kind of a, yeah, life-changing event, like I said last night, because I, I, had, I interviewed them about their lives. Because I, I, I knew a little bit about the last poets and their influence, but I interviewed, I was, I was really interested in their lives, and I'd never met men that were so open and honest and about their lives, about themselves, so, so critical towards themselves, just like their poetry. And um, what was it like for you, gents? Um, you get a phone call from a Dutch journalist, and then you you meet her, she's not really got a strong connection to the hip-hop, has a, a link through her son. Can you remember your first meeting? What was it like, Umar? Uh, she came what? to his house first. She came. Well. <laughs> yeah, but I met you in, your, in, in his house. You came to... You, you, well. you were in Detroit, <laughs> you know, yeah. and he wasn't even yeah. there. Yeah, but I paid you, behold it, you went to his house first. Yes, I did. Okay, so let's do it. Anyway, <laughs> Christine happened to come at a time when um, America was going through some madness. The Twin Towers had just been crashed into. No, I came a year, I came, no. <laughs> no, I came the year before. And then I came back, and then the Twin Towers collapsed. Then I already decided to. Just okay. as well, you wrote a book about it. At least uh, it's all died. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you know, you know, it was like um, I, I remember clearly that, that I spent like four hours conversation, the first meeting, and I was completely overwhelmed by, by because 
Dune is like the Griel. He's the storyteller. So he, he pictures his life from the where he grew up in, in Jamaica, Queens. You could smell the, the, the roasted chicken. You could see. He pictured the, this this uh, image of his, his his aunt and his uh, daddy Joe, uh, his his uh, adoptive parents, and and then uh, well the well Harlem in the time that and you know how he how he. And then the last poets, and but it was all with very details. And so, I remember that um, the next day I met Umar, and I remember he was really like uh, critical, like who who are you? What do you want? <laughs> you know, not. And then and then the next after 20 minutes, <laughs> after 20 minutes we talked, and it was like okay, he said, I'm I'm sure we'll meet again, and we we had this wonderful wonderful uh, interview which, which was really personal and I you know also with, with Abiy Adun it's just that it was like um, yeah nice. what was it like for you well I, I just thought she was crazy I mean because <laughs> um, she was very courageous and she seemed to be fearless about meeting us and talking to my kids and talking to our family members I mean um, she showed a lot of uh, heart I thought and I, I was impressed with her presentation, with how she, because Christine is a, she's a warrior. She sees something that she wants to do and she goes after it. She's not like a, a, a Denzel in distress where, you know, I would, I mean, she's got a real plan and of action that she actually moves on. And I appreciate and respected her for that. And I loved her kids even back then because they were so endearing and, 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 uh, and, and Daniel, was like a little kid at the time, but he was a lovable kid. You could feel his love, you know? So did you do the interviews with your... No, 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 because, because I, I was just like that. I met them and, you know, I decided I wanted to do this novel, but I realized this is going to be an on, uh, like a, a year long. This took me some years. And I thought, why, the, why aren't they performing in Holland? So I called the Paradiso Club. I just called them and said, hey, do you, you heard, do you want a Last Poets to perform? And said, yes, that's a good idea. So... <laughs> That, so they came uh, while I was working on the project, and then they asked me, "Do you want to read before them?" And I and and I and then I said, "Well, that that might be a bit boring." And I and you taught me, you learned the words by heart, so I that's how I learned to perform as a like a, the, the more theatrical, and I wrote poetry. So and then he met my children, and my mother. <laughs> they both there, yeah, yes. Yeah, so so were you at that gig as well? Yeah. yeah. Was it all three of you? And did you, um, do you remember your first meeting? I mean, do you, was it something that, do you, do you share the same impressions as uh, the other two guys? Well, pretty much it was a little surprise. Like, she seemed to be real unwhole about, you know, getting the information about the last poets and uh, so, I, you know, we, we meet people all the time that want to interview and want to take pictures, you know, all the time. So, I take people as face value and, yeah. And she came to my house and she be interviewed and talked and it was good. Um, see, Dunes, you know, you know, Dunes said he thought she was crazy. I knew she was crazy. <laughs> Because here was a white woman walking around in New York talking about, I want to do a book on you, I want to do a book on you. I'm saying, whoa, 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 you want to do a book on the last pause? I mean, you bringing an army with you? Are you bringing any militias with you? Because we are crazy, you know what I'm saying? But she said, no, okay, I'm still a mom, I want to do the last pause. So we walked around, had a couple of drinks, and at this bar we talked, and I said, this girl is serious, she ain't bullshit. She really wants to do a last uh, poet book. So. We got through that one time, and she went back. <laughs> she went back to um, Amsterdam. Then she came back the next year, like she said. And there was, um, you know, someone in the air was, was flying into the trace and was fucking up shit. You know what I'm saying? And so she got something happened. She got stuck somewhere, so I had to go pick her up. And I wound up going to get her. And we wound up staying in this uh, ho uh, hotel near the um, Central Park. So again, she kept saying, "I want to do this. I'm like, I really want to write a book on you guys." So I, I, whatever, go ahead. And this thing, you know, she's coming back and getting interviewed. She's hanging out in New York. She's meeting news people. And, and I took her to Ohio. She met my mother. And we took her up to Flint while I was spending time with my sister. And, you know, she's a very adventurous woman. I mean, she's courageous and adventurous. 
And sometimes she just over, so I'm saying, she's up in Flint, Michigan one time, and Santa, my sister loved her. My sister fell in love with her. My sister managed to wind up coming from Flint to hang out with her in Amsterdam. So, so well, because my sister's crazy too. <laughs> so, so. Uh, I'm saying, well, where's she at, man? You know, Santa, you seen her? I said, no. I said, so I decided to go around the corner looking for her. And around the corner was these drug boys all hanging out, selling their wares. And she's hanging out with the drug boys like she was born. And she's slapping five and pumping pheasants. <laughs> you know, what's going on? She just said, Christine, come on, let's go. And so the drug boys, you know, they, hell, Pops, who was that? Man, we really like her. She's down, man. Is she going to stay? She was said, no, she's not. She's going to get out of here now. <laughs> she's going to get out of here now. But she, I mean Detroit, we were out in Detroit, she met people and dealt with friends of mine in Detroit. But we didn't, we didn't realize that she was serious. She was a serious journalist who wanted to write about the last poor. So I began to become very helpful and very open and you know, sharing my life with her. And we become the best of friends. We don't, see, both of us are Scorpios too, so we sometimes, yeah, you know, together. But she, um, she's been here and she's the only one who ever came here, none of the black writers or came, she came and she stayed on the job and you know like I told this one white guy about this, you know, what do you think of um and I said she's a white Dutch girl, but she's a oh, white Dutch girl, you know what I'm saying? Oh. So <laughs> that's, you know, Thank a you. little bit of the story, you know. Christine, how many people did you interview for the book? Oh, I think about 50 people. I just I traveled all over. I, but I, I realized if I want to re do um, a real good portrait of the last poets, um, you should not interview like all the famous people. I did interview some fa famous people, but uh, actually they were disappointing. But you, I so who did you? Who, which well, famous people oh, did you leave out? Chuck D. Uh -huh. <laughs> for public enemy, I just l I I left. He he kept me waiting all day, and then I said at some point, okay, then then don't. <laughs> so, but um, I realized it's more interesting to get really close to the story. So you have to interview the, the women around these men, uh, the mothers, the 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 ex-wives, the wives, the children, the daughters. And see, I didn't know she had done that. She had met some of my wives. And said, I didn't know she had got to my ex-wives. I was well, you gave me the no. address. <laughs> no, I mean, that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that you is know. something that does come out. You you don't seem like the necessarily the most reliable husband or boyfriend material. Um, <laughs> I have to say, it's quite brave of you to be passing on those. Uh, those yeah, but that, but, that, but that is some telling something about why this story is so important and why these men and their poetry is so still today has so much to say because they're not afraid to be that honest. And actually, all the ex-wives still love them. <laughs> they're, they're oh, really? Yes, they do. <laughs> but um, I, rem I remember one of you, you passed Random the information to me. <laughs> I remember them, you telling me, because I wanted, it, it, the, one of the big things in the book is the, uh, is the absent father or the, or the dysfunctional father's figure. And I remember you, if, uh, you telling me, uh, if you want to, you have to talk with Khadija, my, my daughter, because she has the most trouble with me. So yeah. Khadija was really open about it, about uh, the whole, she admired you, but also had difficulties with the absence of the father. But, and that really, uh, I got a real close connect. I remember that really clearly when I interviewed Khadija, because I could I identify so very well with his daughter, because my father was li like, ab well, absent because he was mentally ill. But at the same time, I could so very identify with Umar as well, because of his upbringing and with also with a father who was, dis well, uh, in tr yeah, uh, distressed and, and and troubled as well as brilliant, and that made me so under, you know, that, that that made me not only understand your life better, your things, but also it, it helped me understand my, um, you know, my background, my life, and and see my father as a person, not only as a father, you know? Because I was really amazed at the people she had interviewed and found out and talked to. I just, wow, I was, I mean, I mean, I, I it's a wonder she didn't get to the Pope and ask about the last parts. 
Cause she had got to a lot of people I didn't realize that she had gotten to. So, but like she did her work, she really did. She did her work, and she came and walked and talked and took buses and Greyhound buses. So she really worked on this. She did. I mean, sometimes you know, I, I we'll set one there's one thing in this book that well we gonna straighten that out sooner or later. You know, you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really funny because we've always been considered to be radical poets and. Poets who would, yep. who would actually raise the bar about the circumstances, and she brought out the human element of us, mm. and that was something that no one had ever done. No one even attempted to. Mm. I remember one time I was watching, I was at a um, video shoot of Arrested Development with Spike Lee, and uh, we were sitting right next to each other and talking, and he knew exactly who I was. Of course, I knew who Spike Lee was, and. Uh, and this guy this, that was there, kept saying, he says, Doom, he ought to do a movie about you guys, man. He's a movie maker. He ought, boy, you ought to give him. I said, I'm not asking Spike to do Jack. I said, he can do whatever he wants to do. I said, to take on the assignment of The Last Poets, that might be a little too much to handle. Uh, I think and, so, too. And, 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 and I told him that. I said that I wasn't going to ask Spike. He had to decide that himself because we are all separate men. We all have egos. That could have been the biggest fight on the planet, uh-huh. you know? I mean, he, he may not have really agreed with some of the stuff that, uh, that we are about. Christine had no problem. She, she, she found her way to penetrate all of that and tell a very decent story. Mm. And, 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 and that uh, gives the, uh, it's important because their poetry is very personal, as well as it, it says something about the, 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 the community, the racism, the, the, what's going on in society, it comes from a really uh, deep personal source. From It's lived. It's from the heart. So if you want, want to understand their work, you have to understand their lives and, and what's behind that. And, and that was my drive. I wanted to understand what does racism to the soul of a person? How does this, is, is all this... this negative how is it transferred and how how does that you know on a deep personal level and and you can only understand it if you know how how, how that works in families and and uh with work and with with, with everything that's the one thing i can say that the last force never cheated people in terms of their honesty you know we've always somehow found a way to peel off the outer layers of who we are and reveal the nakedness of who we are to the world and mm. it takes a lot of courage to do that because poets are very vulnerable. You become, when you put yourself out there like that, you set yourself up for all kinds of things. But we were strong enough and we were serious enough to go ahead and do what we did without any reservations. And I feel very proud that the group over the years uh, have, has, we've maintained that. We've never became cellophane poets. We were always organic. I think one of the really interesting aspects of the book is that you've taken those um, first-person accounts and then you've taken other accounts that aren't maybe written in the first person and then that's been blended with aspects of fiction and it's, um, it is a challenge for the reader because you, at some points you're like, who's actually being talked about here? It, it, it takes a few pages of some chapters to really realize um, which person is now mm-hmm. being featured and you know because you've um, Umar's well you've had three this year third name so in the in the book you you're referred to in three different with three different names depending on which point of your life it is oh, um, I have a lot of names and a lot of parts in my life to be honest so yeah I'm sure please I you know my life yeah, I've, you know, I've been through some struggles, but you know, I don't regret any of it, and I'm not ashamed to, you know, about it because that's how I live. That's part of my life. That's part of me. So, other people, well, why you always want to talk about what you did on drugs? That's what I did on drugs. I said, you know, I was on drugs. What the fuck you gonna ask me a question like that for? You saw me on drugs. Yeah, I was on drugs, and I liked doing what I was doing at the time. But I ain't never heard nothing from nobody. I don't hear them hiding nothing from nobody. You see me as I am. That's how I am. I'm afraid of. You know, go out and act crazy in front of people. At that, at that moment in time, that's what I feel like doing. Because, I mean, my thing is I've never let people worry about what people think about me or what they say behind my back. Because that's the worst thing any human being can do is worry about what some other motherfucker, excuse my language, is thinking about you. It's thinking about you. That's a waste of time. You know, so I mean, I mean the, the thing with but, that but is... But the, the third funny thing is that young people, like, yeah. like 
16 year olds they don't have that problem they read the book like that it, it, no, it's really. I don't want to. I is, didn't think it's a problem, but I thought no, it was no, it's no. more interesting. No, it's it is funny because it's it's it's. Because I know when yeah. he's he's Jerome when he's he's young. And, yeah. And but there is a scene in the book where he changes his name. He tells yeah. this to his mom and 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 that. But I thought there's a scene. What? 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 Huh? There's a scene when I When you change your name into. Oh yeah. There's there's this dialogue. I'm always Jerome. You can come with my Manhattan. I've had. Street but name. I remember but basically, I'm I'm Jerome Euling above it all when I come down so to it. So, without wishing to get too bogged down in that, because it was just a, it was more of an observation. Yeah. For the for the reader, how do they? Is it? Do you, would you say that, is it obvious where you're you're actually giving a a first person account, or are there some clues where you? You maybe hint at this is something that's either been embellished or you've you've added color to the to the yeah. scenes. Yeah, I think so because the the um, like Umar's stories in uh, in the in the second uh, third person. Yes, yeah. because uh, your uh, your stories in the first person. Because I I thought that sounded better. I wanted to 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 have the real voices of them in in, in the in the book. And that works better with him. He's a griot storyteller. Umar is different. And I thought it was really intimate, this story. I thought it worked better in a third person. Then there I put in some real monologues, like by his mother, by your sist uh, sister, uh, by um, children. And they are real, just real monologues. And I wanted that because the reader reads it like it is a novel, but realizes this is real, as well as pieces from the poetry in between, and which are really carefully chosen. Because y if you read the book, then you read where the, po where the po poems are from, where they come from. So there's the connection between <coughs> life and fiction. And the way, and people ask me, why don't you write a whole, why didn't you write a non-fiction book? Well, I thought it's, I'm a novelist, and, and I love that, because I wanted to get as close to them um, as I could because that's one of the rare things the novel does you can actually be uh, someone else you can be you can feel you can think like the other one and that's what I wanted to be so what was it like for you the um, seeing those experiences brought onto the page I mean I think especially Umar because it's in the the third person there's scenes which are Really, quite um, you know, graphic sex scenes, and I was when I was yeah, I've, I've know, seen that. Yeah, the graphic what was it sex like scenes. having someone actually communicating that um, <laughs> in the third person? I mean, when you first read that, what did it feel like? Well, I didn't need no graphic sex scenes. I mean, you know, it was nice that uh, she wrote about my sex life, but the graphicness sometimes <laughs> got to me, you know. But you, <laughs> please. <laughs> You know, cause you know, when you know when you're young and you know you can't learn and you're up on stage and you run into things, you know. But I have to have learned. I've, I have. I've in some ways, a lot of times, abused women physically, sexually, emotionally, and I had to learn that that's not the thing to do. I had to get knocked upside the head to realize you can't do that. Because see, I've come to find out that even all the women who were trying to get me to love them better, to understand them better, it wasn't just about them. It was about them trying to get me to learn how to love myself. So that's, you know, that's been a big revelation for me. I mean, I, that's what any woman really wants is, well, if I'm going to give you some love, can I get some love back? And so I had to come to grips with that and I had to realize, you know, I was fucked up and doing really fucked up stupid things. Not so even much of the women, because nine times women go through that all the time. So it was just me. I'm just, I was the loser in that. And I had to come to that realization that, you know, you can't keep doing that. And I'm glad I did, because now I, I have five dollars with constantly now. Daddy, do I look like mommy to you? <laughs> I mean, they, you know, it's like daddy do, it's my name, uh, Malika daddy. They let me know, my, I got five dollars to do not play. And then I got a little granddaughter now, just almost, she's the other thing is too. If I look like I'm being too stupid, she'll make noise, she'll start making a lot of noise. And then when I stop, so it's good that those people have been in my life, you know, so to help me come to the group that, you know, there's certain things you can't do to yourself or to anybody else. And now that, you know, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm okay with where I am right now. 
I'm not who I should be, but I'm okay who I am right now because of what I've, I've been I've, through. I thought about that because I, I, I took it on as a really big responsibility. I knew what I was doing, you know, being so into, uh, telling such intimate stories shared with me in a novel. But I think I asked myself, can I do that? And I, and I said, well, it, I think as long as it is really honest and done with a lot of love, and that and it, it really was. Uh, I think I, I so, so the it was done with a lot of love. So, and so and the graphic sex scenes were done with a lot of love. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go for that. I'll go for that. It can be worse. Yeah, it could. It could. Yes, it could. When did you? I mean, the book was first written or published in Dutch in 2004. So the translation came out what 12 years later. At which stage did you, all three of you, actually read it? Was it not until it was published in English, or did, were there any things that you'd seen before well, that? Tell him the truth. Yeah, well, I struggled with the book for 10 years and read maybe 100 pages because I don't speak Dutch. <laughs> so it was, it was a learning experience trying to read the book. In Dutch. In Dutch. But um, <laughs> last year it was translated, and... I've been reading it, and I've discovered that Christine does have a golden pen. She can write. She's a very good writer, and her verse is uh, wonderful. I mean, she did embellish certain things, but she did a good job. Uh, uh, she's a very worthy writer to tell the story of the last poets, there's no doubt. Because there's a scene in the book where I'm, me and Duna in this club on, uh, in Harlem, uh, Smalls, and Dune just discovers how much of a street person and a club person I was, because I used to go into the clubs, and I would just get into the music, and you know, I'm fucking around with the drugs too, and I would get into the women. But he, the way he, the way he explained it in the book, it was so eloquent. I mean, I don't know if he could see that much of me or knew that much about me, but in that club that night, he just, I mean, he Dune come to realize who I really was. And it was done in, in, in such a nice way, even though she wrote about it too. It's just like, wow, okay, somebody really got a hold of me. Because I used to love the club. I used to love the party. I still do like to party. At 69 years old, I like to party. I love partying. I mean, you know, and I have run up against police officers who have tried to stop me from partying. And, and no, no, I'm, I'm partying. I don't care what y'all say. Don't stop me, I'll take your tickets, I'll go to jail. But when I decide to party, I want to party. So, and when he saw that aspect of me, it, um, I, that's why I really got into the book and I started reading them more to, you know, and seeing about what other people were, were saying about me, what they knew about me. Because she's revealed me totally in that book. She has, you know, and I don't, I'm not mad at her because uh, she's the only person, other person. There's other people who thought about the things about me, like she said, but she put it out there openly. So I don't, I have no problems with that, you know. Well, I don't, when, when did you first uh, read it, and what was your feeling well, about it? Honestly, I didn't really get a chance to get to the book yet. Well, uh, for some reason, I didn't get, I'm getting my copy. So you now. got a long flight back, yeah. So, I would get excited for you as well. I have the answer for you, like, you know, <laughs> a couple of weeks. Cool. Well, it's an excuse to get you back. Get a drummer oh, yeah. sound. I'll be reading the book. Very get a drummer sound, you know what I'm saying? Get a drummer yeah. sound. <laughs> um, so, and, and, do you know of any tidbits that I need to? We um, obviously we've got three of the um, last points here, but there were very other, other very central um, characters in the book, and I thought it'd be interesting to um, give an insight into um, into two of those. Um, as I think it's a good time for you yeah. to read the selected uh, chapter. I chose this, so um, I landed this on Christine uh, around lunchtime today. So um, I think uh, if there is any bit, any bits that don't flow, which I'm sure they will, then it's entirely my fault. Because no, no, uh, no, I, 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 I totally appreciate. I might have it here marked out if that's easier. Um, here you go. Which side? okay. Yeah, and th th this is. Sh should I stand there or? or uh, however you feel most comfortable. I can s stay sitting. Uh, yeah, it's about Felipe Luciano, and he's the only Puerto Rican in the group. And Fel Felipe is a politician now. He was leader of the Young Laws, the uh, Puerto Rican uh, Black Panthers. 
and he's a really nice guy and he talks about Guylan Kane who's one of the founders of uh, The Last Poets and who lives in Amsterdam and I talked to Guylan Kane for nine hours and after those nine hours he said you can't use any of it because he was really I was associating with you guys and he didn't want to be you know this was all going yeah, well back he calls to himself the internal a black fights now too so <laughs> So then I uh, then but I used this story anyway because I called Felipe who was his best friend and Felipe said you should use it and you find a way to write around it. But this is about um, and and, and Guylan Kane is a wonderful poet but he but he's a bit troubled. And this is in February 2002. Kane's eyes. I know he always wears sunglasses these days but he has beautiful eyes. A hesitant guarded look. No trace of anger or aggression. Case would Kane would never be able to off somebody, never. That's why he lives in Europe now. He was no match for his brother's violence. We were both looking for family. Neither of us had a father. Our mothers were married to God. We grew up in the same church, different temples, but the same Pentecostal community. Every evening we saw God in the quivering bodies of the women in the first and second row whenever they felt his presence enter them. The ecstasy on their faces, the rousing music, the whooping, the sermons, the warmth, the children who stood outside the window making faces at us on the inside. It didn't matter that they were laughing at us, not then anyway. The sumptuous dark red carpeting that you sank into like walking on a cloud. Great, great God my Father, sweet pudding pie Jesus, you brought me out of the midnight hour and planted me in a lighter day. I understand every word Cain says, the free form of his poetry, it takes no effort. Even now that he's on the other side of the ocean, I feel his presence. We were blood brothers, we are blood brothers. We were. T talking on the phone recently and he said only now I realize that the last poets weren't the reason I fled New York it had to do with me with mother you know what I'm talking about I remember my mother getting out of bed in the middle of the night I was 12 and wanted to go to school dance I bought a nice suit and suddenly my mother was standing there there next to my bed God told me you can't go mother I'm going I'm going, I said. You're not going, Felipe. I'm, I am. I'm too. She proceeded to beat me within an inch of my life with the, an ironing cord. I didn't go to the dance. I couldn't. My arms were so bruised up. But not because I gave in to my mother. You understand? The same thing happened to Cain the first time he wanted to go out, go out with a girl. But it wasn't like him to yell and curse at, at his mother at, or to run away. They were so close. Hilda was her name. How was it for the rest of you reading those uh, those parts from the other members, and in particular um, Cain and, and Felipe? How was it working with them? Cain gave the last poets our aesthetic. Without question, he was the best poet of us all. Um, you know, they have this thing called erotic poetry. And um, I always tell people, if you're going to be an erotic poet, it doesn't mean you're supposed to be nasty. Because most of the erotic poetry is just pornography. I said, and I always use a line from one of Cain's poems, say blackness, say color of earth, Say, soft maroon lady, can I talk to you? Can I touch you? Can I stretch in the soil of your hair? I mean, that is as nasty as you can get without being nasty. And if you don't understand that, like I told guys, I say, you go to a woman at a bar in a club, and you say, can I stretch in the soil of your hair? And she looks at you and say, huh? You walk away. She's not, she's not ready. Because that takes some deep thinking. A erotic poem requires some thinking, and Cain and had that, that key. He made it clear that we could use the word nigger, but it had to be done poetically. You just couldn't say nigger because that was the word to be used, but you had to make it clear what that was. It had to come to life. It had to have a smell. It had to have a taste. I mean, Cain was the one 
that force you into really writing good stuff. And I mean, I thought I'd written a couple of things that were great, and they got kicked to the curb because it wasn't, it wasn't really good poetry. He had a handle on poetry better than any of us, better than David, better than myself. I was learning. I, had, I knew how to write. I had the knack for it, but I didn't have the experience that Kane had. And Kane, and consequently, Kane really would have loved it if, if the last poets were called Garland Kane and the Last Poets. Because I used to always say Kane was somewhat like uh, Jesus Christ and James Brown combined. He, he, he wanted to not walk on water, but slide across the water. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was his whole yeah. image. And, and when uh, the group was like Felipe and Kane and myself, which I felt was a very powerful group, and it was mainly powerful because Felipe can sing and I can sing. We enjoyed being background. Oh, Kane loved it. We were like his personal choir. He had this, had this poem called Ungawa, which was a word, is a made up word. There's no definition for Ungawa, but Kane turned it into a, a sermon. He was like on the pulpit. He was preaching this Ungawa, Black Power, and me and Felipe in the background, humming and, and chanting and everything. And Kane would be in his, he would be in his royalty. He enjoyed that so much, but we gave him super support. And, and it was, but I, I soon came to realize that Kane was more of an artist than he was a black nationalist. And that was where we fell apart because I was seriously into black nationalism. I wanted to see black people do things together and build and do all the wonderful things that we were talking about. Kane was interested in the art aspect and he got fed up with the last poets during the time that we were still we were doing wonderful things and he wanted to go back down to the village where it was where a place where you had art for art's sake, where everybody was an artist. And that's what he did. And he, and, and and we had fights all the time because the other thing, because Kane's older than me, he was trying to be my father. And that was out. That was totally out. My father was definitely dominant. Kane could not be my father. So we would have arguments. As a matter of fact, a couple of times, I wanted to take him to the park and beat his butt. And, and Felipe would say, yo, man, you guys are the last boys. You can't do that. I said, no, we can go to the park and take care of this right now, right during intermission. I mean, it was that type of friction between us. And he couldn't stand it. And eventually, he did leave. So when Umar came, uh, we were breaking up at that point. So his timing was absolutely perfect because Felipe said, I told him that he had to go to Spanish Harlem to start uh, organizing his people. Kane was very fed up being uptown in Harlem, went down to the village, and I was really, literally left as the last poet. And that wasn't funny. That was sad because the group was always functioning on a trinity, which was Kane's idea also. And he believed in the trinity because he was raised in the church. So he was dealing with the whole concept of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so that's what the last poets were supposed to represent. So when Umar was put into the group, that was just one piece. And then, I, then we added Jalal to make that trinity again. And then that's when we did the album. And that just created nothing but madness because that album came out. Kane was upset. Felipe was upset. David was upset because they were original members and they were not a part of that. We had never recorded. Kane had even said, we should never record because if we do record, we're gonna be in the bucket of mess with the rest of these fake recording artists. That's not what we're about. And well, so- they did record, didn't they? Yeah, yes, yes, they did. Yes, 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 yes they he did. did. And yeah, that came on after, after we did- <laughs> And I'm gonna explain why they recorded after, too. After the last post album came out, I was in prison when the album came out. And to my chagrin, I felt that I had left, I, I had started something and I was missing the revolution. I'm in the joint, guys are coming in prison quoting me, and I had to keep my mouth shut because I was in prison for taking money from the Klan, from the Ku Klux Klan. I didn't need any more publicity. I already got enough. And if they found out who I was, I mean, I might have still been in prison. So I was trying to be cool, but I couldn't take it. It's because this guy came in my cell one time, he says, New York, New York, the Big Apple. I said, that's my stuff, man. He said, man, that's mine. I know that whole poem. I said, do you understand? I wrote that. So he really thought I was certifiedly crazy. He says, you been in here, man. This, these guys are from <coughs> New York. I said, yes, why they call me, me, call me New York? I said, you know, I'm from there. I had to get him to get his wife to bring the album in and show the picture on the front and come back and tell me who I was. 
He came back, cried, tears in his eyes. What are you doing in here? I said, I committed a crime. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I, I don't need a lot of, I don't, and every day he would look in the cafeteria. You can't stare at somebody in a cafeteria in prison because that, that looks like you're trying to make a girl out of me or we got something going on. I said, you got to stop. He said, I can't believe you're here. I said, I'm here. Believe it. Stop going through that. But it was really interesting because these guys were going through major fights in the street. I mean, real fights. We were, it was they were having physical fights Because, in the you know, we, um, when most of them left. And then, you know, Abdul Doon left too because he couldn't get uh, along with Jalal. He just said, fuck it, and left. So it was just me and Jalal fighting Alan Douglas to get this album out. Man, I was threatening Alan Douglas to blow up the, the, the offices. I would say, I'll kill all of you if I see you walking down the street. Get our shit out, put it out there. And I be, you know, I became like, you know, somewhat of a basket case, you know, on Fifth Avenue or Seventh Avenue because if they saw me coming toward Douglas' office, they had people running up, Umar's on his way, he's coming, let's get out of here. Cause I was, I had gone crazy because I wanted my stuff out there. So even Jalal said, well, Umar, you know, you got everybody scared, man. People feel you, they think you're gonna hurt them and you're gonna blow them up. Maybe you should go home for a little while. So I went home for about nine months and you know, I'm not gonna use Jalal calling me. And Jalal, who just like he is, is Avarice backstab do he made a deal with Alan Douglas to do an album with uh, Jimi Hendrix in order for us to get our album out. But I didn't care if he made the deal, as long as our album got out there. So when that album got out there, it was just like something like crazy. It was crazy. Everybody, was, I mean, the album, the last poem, you listen to these guys, you ever heard these guys? You heard the poem, Niggas Scared of Revolution? You heard the poem, Two Little Boys? It was hitting. So all of a sudden, now here come Gallen Kane and David and, um, and Felipe, and Felipe forming their group again to call themselves the Last Poets, thinking, okay, but now they're going to ride. They call themselves the original, original Last Poets. Because they're going to they ride off the stuff that me and Jalal said. So we said, wait a minute, man, y'all can't do this. So we got a, we got an injunction on their album in terms of this thing, you know, we just became a real showing up nigger thing, fighting in the streets. I mean, one day me and Jalal are fighting. Uh, David and, and, and uh, David and Kane in the streets. I mean, Jalal got Kane in a corner with a uh, aerial, uh, um, a car, uh, car, antenna. A car antenna beating him with a car. I done knocked David down in the streets and people are saying, yo, the last point is a fight in the streets. This is madness. <laughs> this is madness. So, so we go through that whole thing. And Felipe wasn't there at the time. So when he found out, he called me. I don't know who gave him my telephone number. So he called me with that showing up, that showing up nigga blue. Man, you know, Umar, you better be glad I wasn't there, motherfucker. I, I said, well, come on down, you little punk motherfucking Puerto Rican. Where you at? Hey, fuck you, bitch. Umar, we gonna diss on. We gonna do this, me and you. So I'm saying, well, but I kind of like this guy because, I, you know, I did, even though we were threatening each other, I said, but there's something about Felipe I like. And come to find out, he'd been in the street a little, like, a lot like me when he was a child. So we hit it off, man. We cleared that thing out. We, but Felipe is a brilliant. He's a brilliant guy. He is Felipe a, he is absolutely Felipe brilliant. is absolutely brilliant. You know he's a minister now. Yeah. He went to, oh, he's a minister. I'm just waiting for his church to come to be. I'm going to be the first um, congregation in the church <laughs> when he gets his church. But Felipe is also a con artist, too. Yes. <laughs> Felipe is a brilliant con artist. No, Felipe you know, is very, he's very You know, good. but he can con you because, I mean, I told him, what was thinking about two months ago we was talking because we called. We talk, we call him, we talk to each other. I mean, I talk to Felipe, yeah. we call him, don't talk to him, yeah. but he's a brilliant brother. Is there anyone you've not spoken to out of the group or that you don't speak to? Uh, no, well, the only one is Gylan Kane. Right. And he refuses to talk to us. Uh, one of the things that hurt me to my and heart. We tell him. Amiri Baraka had gone to Amsterdam and he saw where Kane was performing with his little jazz group. And he and his wife Amina went backstage to see Kane. Now, Muri Baraka was the mentor for the last poets. We we got our concept yeah. of he said our standard. He said our standard, and so Muri felt it would be just pro apropos to go see him perform and to go backstage and let him know he was there. And Muri goes backstage to say hi to Kane. Kane says, "Why do you come over here? I hate you. You remind me of my past." Mm. That's what he said. And Muri, so when Muri got back to New York. He calls me, says, I, I went to see your boy. He talks about how he hates me. He reminds you of, I remind him of the past. He said, what's wrong with him? I said, well, you just got it. He's not well. I said, I said what do you yeah, tell but, him? He but, says, I told him you don't hate me, you hate yourself. And, and, and that's, that's a problem. So him and Amina just walked away, but Kane has always had issues with Kane. 
And that's the biggest, I mean, he's one of those convoluted geniuses. I mean, he's not the first. There are a lot of people who've done fantastic things, but when it comes to their lives, they're kind of screwed up. But, but, but the two biggest antagonists in the last episode of Not Liking Each Other were Guy and Kane and Jalal. And they right. both left America and left their children and left everything. But, and they, man, they didn't like each other. And, and see, everybody thought it was the last poor thing, but I was so close to that back in the day. It wasn't the last poor thing. Right. It was a dark skin, light thing. thing. Yeah, That's what that, it really was about. Yeah, it wasn't about who was the last poor and who got the name of that. But they, uh, they really didn't like each other. And that's another thing, too, about Jalal. We, when, I, when we got back together, and, and I will do them tell you, I constantly tried to bring Jalal back into the group to work with us because, you know, that would have been the first three originals on that first album. If we got together, that could have really blown up them. But he kept denying it because of Omar, you're a Muslim, you're not supposed to be working with them animal worshippers and this and that. And, oh, Omar, you know, you're going to hell now, you're going to... So I just kept saying, fuck you, I'm working with them, okay? Well, and I don't he went a stage further. I mean, I think we've not got that much time, so maybe instead of you reading it, I maybe just mention the fact that you doing a gig in Paris. Um, oh, and I got stabbed. Up, yeah, and he turns um, up and stabs, you and stabs me in the neck. With a, yeah. a needle. Because he called me a traitor and all of that. Yeah. I almost died. <laughs> because yeah, of that, but I got to the hospital. But he was jealous that time. you guys were performing yeah, again. Yeah, we, we, had a, we had a sold out concert at a place called Arapaho. And uh, we were in the dressing room and the guy that was one of the um, folks of the club came in backstage and said, there's a guy out here that says he's the last poet. Uh, and so I'm looking at Umar, Umar's looking at me, I'm wondering who this guy is. I said, David wouldn't do that. Felipe wouldn't do that. I mean, who, who's, this, who's doing that? So we got there and it's Jalal. And he's standing there looking angry and says, you ain't no last poet, you're a damn convict. This is what he says to me. <laughs> and then he says, and you ain't no damn last poet, you damn drug addict, to the Umar. And he says, and he looks at Bobbitt and he says, you should know better than to be with those guys. They ain't real. <laughs> so he just, he was chastising us. And before we know it, he has something in his hand and he jabbed him on the throat with it. And we said, oh. But, but I was fascinated because we both used to train in martial arts together. Him, him and I, we used to train him. So I, when I saw him, I, I just got over thinking, if I stayed there, I'd have died. He'd have killed me. So I pulled back just enough time for him just to like, to, you know, to nick it. But then, uh, for the next three days in, in, in it London, got infected. it got infected, and uh, I just thought it was a cold, so I didn't go to 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 the hospital. But then when we got to London again, and it was, it was a blessing that the places where we were staying at was right around the corner from Royal Free Hospital, and so I started to go one time, and I came back and said it's just a cold. But then all of a sudden, boo, it started swelling. So I finally just got out of the hotel, the motel room, and went to the. Uh, to the hospital, and they threw me on, on a gurney and took me upstairs and gave me, I think it's when they... They, they gave you an emergency uh, tracheotomy. Yeah, tracheotomy. What like, was it that he poisoned you with then? Well, no, but... It was infected. The wound right. got infected. So, yeah. I mean, the thing with this is, and I think this is... Uh, dude, your, your reconciliation with yourself seems to happen quite early on in your life, I mean, especially with the the accounts of you being in prison and the, the process that you go, go through. With you, Umar, it seems to happen when you're on Coney Island, which, you know, for a lot of us of a certain generation, we just associate with the Warriors film. Um, yeah. And you're walking around um, Coney Island with a pistol looking for him, and at that point, you just decide you don't want to kill him Yeah, anymore. because didn't nobody know that. I know when I got to work, first of all, my son was going to find his son and go into something. I said, listen, this ain't your business. This is between me. I had got, when I got back, I had got a gun. I went up to Dunes and them and saw them when I got back, but I went to some friend of mine's and I got a gun. And I'm, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker, because I mean, I'm, you know, Scorpio can be very vengeful people, man. And Fleet made one or two revenges, that's his. And so, so I, I was walking up. through the streets of Brooklyn, and I remember that me and him as young boys used to walk through the streets of Brooklyn together, exciling everybody what I was. So I wound up throwing the, um, the gun in the sewer and just, 
I left alone. Like, and I forgave him like within a month or so, but he still had this thing for Doom, or Doom by living with us in the group. For he still kept his 40-year-old thing against Doom. I couldn't understand. I said, listen, man, I forgave you what you did to me, but why are you keeping all this thing about Doom, something done to you? For? Well, Lamar, he left us, he left us. But so what? You know, we kept on, we got big. And so I could never understand that, why he still held that thing over Doom for some And I was years. the only one that really endorsed his poetry because he would come to and the still endorses his poetry. I always give him his credit. He would come to our place. We had a place called the East Wind, and he'd always do his poetry, and it always rhymed. Kane would say, "Get that nursery rhyming bitch away from me." <laughs> he couldn't stand his rhyme, and I thought his rhymes made sense. And I would listen to him, and we hung out. We even did Jones coming down together. We went and hung out in a shooting gallery together. And that poem was almost freestyled the very next day after we had spent the entire night looking at young black men and women coming and finding healthy veins in their body to shoot the drugs. He came up with a brilliant poem called Jones Coming Down. And it's a classic. And, uh, and, but he had that skill. I always felt he, and I still say of all the influential members of The Last Poets, mm. he had the greatest influence. When were you reconciled? Uh, when we did the DVD about six year, a year, seven, years, seven ago. years ago, yeah. so do you, do you yeah. ever perform together? Yes, yes. They perform yes. together in Paris. Well, we have a DVD, we have a, the best documentary done was done by 3D Family, which is a booking agency in Paris. And Valerie Malloy got us together and she asked Umar, she says, Will you give Jalal permission to be a part of this? Because she knew yeah, the story. Yeah, and I forgave him. I and said, she yeah, forgave, he he forgave her, him right there. I saw the gig. And, I was there. <laughs> and, 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 and he came, and he was hesitant because he, he looked like he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't. But, but he, was very, he was walking on, on, on eggshells. But we got through that, and we performed live in Paris. And the documentary without The question, DVD was one of the best ever done. It's the best ever done about who we are. Unfortunately, the person that did it is no longer on the planet. His it seemed like after he made that DVD, he the, died. The Claude, Claude, Claude Santiago. Santiago. Yeah, and he wanted to actually travel with us because we're still working, and he wanted to be a part of that and film more of us. And, uh, and it, was, it was really deep because the booking agency wasn't going to give him money to do that, and I think that also broke his heart. But the fact is that he gave us some love. That documentary is without question the best we've ever done. Matter of fact, we have some of those with us. Yes, I was going to say. Um, if y'all are interested. Have you we didn't bring a whole lot because, you know, but we have, well, we have a whole lot, but we just bring a few here with us. There is, so, you know. uh, there are, you're, you've embarked on solo projects as well, haven't you? Yes, yes, we have, yes, yes, we all have. Because that's, that's the other thing, you know, we do function as a group, but we're individuals. And that has been able to manifest itself in us having individual projects. And but you, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Well, but you know what I would like to say is to you, Scottish people. I I came here, you know, because I was a Mary Queen of Scott fan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> through, through movies and and it's books, you know, I dug me some Mary Queen of Scott, and I was, you know, really fucked. Excuse my life. I was messed up that Queen Elizabeth killed her. You know. I know what that was about, you know what I'm saying? But listen, I've, you know, I've read about y'all and I've seen your movies, but when I got here, I mean, as soon as I got out the, uh, out the train, I'm looking in your face, I said, these are some very determined people here. I said, you don't mess around with the Scots too much, you know? These people can be deep. And like, I mean, it's a thing where y'all don't let too many people tell y'all what to do or how to do it, because y'all are rebellious. Y'all some gangsters, actually. But, but the, the, the beauty, the humanity, and the sense of human diligence uh, 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 that y'all have, I connected with y'all right away. Because I said, these people are really serious. I mean, they're some good people. And the love that y'all have, have shown us, uh, the time that we've been here is truly amazing. So I want to say it has been an honor to be in your country and to meet and be in presence of you people. I really mean that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I, have, I, I too have been pleasantly surprised because after being in England, I, I really had no idea what it was going to be like being in Scotland. 
I mean, I know about the kilts and the bagpipes, and, and I said, this is going to be a real experience. The minute we got off the train, yeah. some guy came up to us and said, oh, yeah. wow, the last poets, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow night. And he was so excited, and he was so welcoming, and everybody we've met has been nothing but wonderful. I mean, there was a human strand happening here that's yeah. special. And, and, and I think it comes with the fact that you guys have experienced uh, having a foot on your necks like we've experienced in America. I mean, because the English stepped on you like America stepped on us. And anytime you have those kinds of experiences, it brings people together. We know what it's like to be stepped on. And we know what it's like to have to fight back. And there's a connection here that we can relate to. And I'm like Umar, I want to thank you as well because it's been a very yes, special yes. experience. Yes. Well, thank, you, thank you for the whiskey. whiskey. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, one thing that struck me when I um, saw, saw you perform last night um, with uh, Niggas Are Scared of Revolution, and I think there's a lot of things that came there when you were, um, when you were citing it, Umar, where I thought about replacing Niggas with Scots. Oh. And it really, um, it, there was, it was a really interesting, because no, you're I, actually in a country that voted against its own independence. Right. And I thought that was, there's certain elements of that where you, you have that thing of people get angry here because the Daily Record writes something about um, football or, oh. you know, but it very seldom turns into people actually doing something about it. And I was wondering whether there's, um, you know, you think this is why you still have that resonance in, uh, you know, after 50 years in, in countries that are, um, you know, on the other side of the world in Northern Europe. I mean, do you think that there, is, there are connections there? That, do you think there's certain things about your message that connects with I'm quite audiences? sure. I'm quite sure it does. I'm quite sure that's why a lot of people come to see us or just come to see who we're all, just come to hear us out to see if, if they can make that connection too. And I'm awfully glad that we have been able to make them get connections with people and other people have been made because that's well that's the way human beings are supposed to interact anyway you're supposed to see yourself with somebody else you're supposed to try to deal with who they are in that terrain and that area and treat it with much respect and and much kindness because you know somebody who's in that office in those chairs are just like you and you can feel them and they can feel you and so it's I yeah yeah I, yeah well, you know, I go with that also like what we having right now in America, we have a new president. Uh-huh. And many people are like, you know, yeah. are, those, are those folks who didn't vote, who didn't think it was, who thought uh, Hillary was gonna win automatically, who didn't think it matters. So I'm not, I don't care about a woman being the president. And look what you, was, was happening. I mean, so the writing was on the wall of what was gonna come down. So nothing that's happening now is just a surprise to me. It seemed to be very obvious, but you have people who are very stubborn, we're not moving forward. This is what we were calling niggas. People who are not moving forward, who are not progressive, who are not embodying uh, themselves with power or to have any kind of foresight. And you have people now who, the ones who voted for him, they, they got what they wanted. So they did what they did. But the ones who did not vote, the ones who were that pathetic, are the ones that we were talking about. And they're the ones that you got to like, you know, you get, you get upset with them, but you, you have, they have to go through that. And I look at them, I look at the people I know who didn't do it, and I just look, how's your president now? Oh, don't tell, that's not my president. This is your president, but you didn't vote. You didn't do anything. You didn't act. So the, when the result of that action is what we get now in terms of the civil rights, and well, you know, part of that might be true, but then I look at this whole thing, this electoral college knocks me out. I don't understand that to save my life. You got four states that made the final determination. Hillary won by over three million votes, mm. popular votes. So, you know, talk about people didn't vote. People did vote. But in those electoral states, they did not. Well, in those four states, and those are the key states. We might have to cut this but short, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see me get involved in that? Another rift with the last poet. Yeah. Uh, 
You, so, just, you see, I mean, the whole political thing. I mean, I don't, I don't trust politicians. I have never not trusted at all. politicians. Not, you know, so because politicians and the whole thing about voting, you go out and vote, and like Doom says, you you put your vote down the counts, but then some people in some little place called the electoral college can just knock your vote off. Uh, what's to be done? If we got time for a song, yes, one song. Um, I think. Um, I think because we're we're very much focused on poetry, and uh, I know it's a shame that we can't. Uh, we've got so into the chat that we've not really been able to have the guys reciting any of their poetry. But what we um, what we have got is something new, and it's. I believe this is the first time you've you've sung this yeah, song I, um, I, on I, stage. You know, um, long before I ever wrote a poem, I sang. Singing was always a love, something I deeply loved. A matter of fact, my mother encouraged me to use my voice. My mother encouraged me to sing. She would actually turn the radio down if there was a song on the radio that she knew I knew and call neighbors into the house <laughs> to have them listen to her son sing. So, brothers. so my, mother, my mother was a big, big supporter. And she heard about the last poets and she knows that we use language that she does not endorse, you know. <laughs> And she says, I know you're running around doing uh, poetry and you're saying stuff that's totally uh, un uh, what she calls unsavory for my ears. Um, but if you're not singing, you're cheating your audience. That's what she'd always tell me. Well, I can't sing. Umar sings and he doesn't even know he's singing. I can't sing. His voice is a song. I can't and that's sing. the whole thing. He, he, he's not going to deal with notes uh, and things, but he has a certain sound that sing. you cannot reproduce. I other, can't sing. He's going to say, I can't sing. It's so sad. He does sing. You sing. So if you, you sing. don't sing now, then yeah, sing now or be forever Thank silent. You. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this is, this um, is a song. There's a place, I'm a part of a, a, a little conglomerate called the Senegal America Project. And in Senegal, uh, West Africa, there is a retreat. And it's called Soboba Day. And at this retreat, people from all over the world come together. It is a perfect example of how folks can get along under the beautiful landscape of being in Africa. It's a special spot. So being there for about two or three weeks, I had to write this song. I just hope you all appreciate it, okay? Because now the name of the song is Soboba Day. And can you all say that? Soboba Day? Soboba Day happens to be the name of a Haitian god of goodwill and good fortune. So hopefully this will give you good energy and good vibes to take out as well. But this is on my, late, on my latest CDs, the very first CD that I've done of my love songs, which I think is really the bomb. And I do have some copies if in case y'all want to purchase, okay? There is a place in Africa, a natural paradise. You feel the love of Africa while you eat your fish and rice. The people are so friendly there, they smile just like the sun. The drums are heard and there's always prayers until the day is done. So go by day, 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 so go by day. Mother Nature has a way. Ocean waves play symphonies of music never heard. Trees and flowers sing lullabies. Bye. 
First, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> um, also available in the shop. Unfortunately, we have to make way for the uh, the next the next author, um, but we'll we'll be going off to the shop, so you can buy the CD, the books, um, and everything else that um, they've brought with them. Get them signed. Um, I know, uh, Umar, if you want to. Could we maybe do the poem while people are waiting to buy the books? Would you be able to do that? Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Uh, time in becomes time out. Group anxieties become personal doubt. Expressing ourselves in dot dots and dashes, pure cocaine and false eyelashes. Living inside words that seem to, uh, living inside words that seem to lie. Living inside excuses that becomes high. Living inside loneliness becomes high. Living inside loneliness becomes a high. Living inside loneliness becomes a high. I don't want to go too far. <laughs> Thank you very much. So you, so you said we, you said we have to go. Thanks for coming. Oh, y'all look, y'all dismayed. Y'all really are. Thank All right. Thank you so I much. Thank you. Thanks very much. I'll do it outside. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.